Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey now, clones, what's going on? It's Podcast Wednesday, and before we lay down our interview with two-time gold medalist David Wise, let me lay out the show for you that we just had. Seth Davis was in studio to help us get ready for the NCAA tournament. Vegas Golden Knights winger Ryan Reeves talked hockey in Sin City and then dropped an amazing goal horn. And the NFL Network's Mike Mayock broke down the draft as only he can. Allen Iverson was in the news, so you know we had to open up the show with AI. Des Bryant gets hooked on social. Kirk Cousins about to get paid, but not without former teammate D'Angelo Hall first coming for him. My takes, your calls, the Daily Jungle starts right now. If AI is out and about, if AI is in the news, I'm going to start the program with it. Now, unless you live in Philly or the Carolinas, you probably did not see this. An absolutely mind-melting in-game interview that NBC Sports Philadelphia was able to get on live TV with AI last night. Now, I don't know if you've seen this. I have. I've watched it like 50 times, and I still feel like I hear something new with every single spin. You know, as an example, you know those movies or albums that are so nuanced that they continue to reveal new layers every single time through? That's this interview. So, let's go back to last night for a minute. The Sixers are in Charlotte to play the Hornets. It's a nine-point game. The second half had just gotten underway, and Molly Sullivan of NBC Sports Philadelphia sits down courtside to talk to AI. AI is in attendance, which isn't that surprising because it is a Sixers game, but a little bit surprising because it's a Sixers game in Charlotte. I'll hit on that in a second. But for context, the answer is rocking shades inside because, well, because he's the answer. And of course he is. I only say that because you'll hear Molly interject her approval of that look right in the middle of her first question. You said you look cool with these glasses. What do you think about the 76ers and what they're showing out here on the floor? I love my guys. I love my little dudes. They're my little guys. I love them. All right, so one question in and already one classic response given. Quote, I love my guys. I love my little dudes. They're my little guys. I love them. Hey, look, I guess that's one way to put it. I mean, I guess, right? Pretty rich of a dude who played listed at six foot nothing, throwing around the term little guys and little dudes when not one guy on that roster is under six foot two. But nine-foot-tall Joel Embiid is AI's little dude. So far, so good. In fact, perfect. Now, on to the important things. Like, what the hell are you doing in Charlotte, Alan? What brings you to Charlotte? I live here. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> hey, look, I'm not here to crack on Molly or NBC Sports Philly or anybody in this business ever. Not my gig. Not my gig. Not my style. And can I tell you, that's not an easy gig that she has. Live TV is tough. It's a tough, tough gig. I would say the first question I would ask my producer if I saw Allen Iverson at a game in Charlotte is, why is Allen Iverson in Charlotte? That said, I'm pretty glad that she didn't and that nobody straightened her out because his response is an instant classic. I live here. Hey, Al, what are you doing here? Uh, I live here. Al. Great to see you in Charlotte. What's up, man? What are you doing here? I live here. So, my man, first things first. What brings you to Charlotte? I live here. <laughs> it's not just that he said it. It's how he said it. Hey, one more time. What are you doing here in Charlotte? I live here. Not that he said it, but how he said it. Like, how the hell does the entire world not know what I'm up to? I'm Alan freaking Iverson. When I relocate to Charlotte eight years after my last NBA game, you best be knowing that. And don't be asking that. But credit to Molly. She rolled with that like a pro. Even more credit for getting off this rainbow softball that crossed AI up pretty badly. In terms of where Philadelphia is headed, what's going to be the deal breaker for them to make some uh, noise in the playoffs? Um... I would, I would, I would, I would be crazy to say we think we need more. I think we got enough to be um, competitive like we've always been, and um, 
I just think we have a we have enough. I think it's our it's it's our time. But I'm gonna believe that anyway, regardless if I think we need more pieces or you know whatever. Like I, I know we got the best coach in the world. We got the two greatest superstars that we need, and we got the great role players that we need. So like I'm I'm with it. Like I'm 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 along for the journey. Like I, I think we're gonna do something. Gold. Liquid gold. Yeah, I'm not saying that my man imbibed prior to that interview. I'm not saying that. I don't know. You can go ahead and speculate all you want. I, I don't know. I know that he gave that response a long, long thought before he actually got into it. My man, preach. Preach, Al. The question was, in essence, what's it going to take to get the Sixers over the hump? And he could have gone a number of different ways with that. Embiid and Simmons, a couple of franchise players, Markel Fultz coming back, getting his shot back, LeBron joining forces this summer. I mean, any of these answers work. Instead, he launched into a truly unique analysis where he stated each of the following things. Number one, the Sixers will be competitive like we've always been. That's a pretty incredible statement to make about a team that just went five years straight without winning 35 games in one of those seasons and has perfected the art of tanking. But that's what he said. He also added, quote, it's our time. And don't get me wrong, it's going to be their time. No doubt. It will ultimately be their time. But I don't think that anybody in the world besides AI thinks that their time is right now. It's the Warriors' time. It might be the Rockets' time. And we'll get into that topic a little bit later on today. It's just not the 76ers' time. Not yet, at least. He also said, quote, we've got the best coach in the world. You will never, ever find a bigger Brett Brown house than this. You'll never find a bigger Brett Brown guy than me. You know this. I love this guy. I think he's an amazing coach. But even Brett Brown would admit that he and everybody else are still looking up at Pop and Kerr, at least for right now. The only unfortunate thing about this interview is that it had to come to an end but not before a couple of catchphrases and the best goodbye that I've heard in a long time. We all we need, right? We all we need. (laughs) We all we got. There we go. Uh, Mark and Ola, back up to you. Thanks so much for the time. All right. We all we need, we all we got, and all right. All right. All right. All right. Man, what I would give, that's a successful interview. You know that the person who did that interview was pumped at the end of the interview when he said, all right, all right, Seth Davis joining us here in studio. What's up, man? How are you? Good to see you, man. I'm a little disappointed only because I thought that I'd be the skinniest guy in the, st- in the studio. You today. are still, dude. You but are I'm still. Not, uh, you are you, still. You got way ahead of me, bro. You are. You are clearly. That's a lie. You. You're getting your workouts in, though, aren't you? I am. I am. Not as much this time of year. We always talk about the balance between sleep and the workouts. Sleep definitely comes first, but you got to have room for both. All right. So who's winning, the sleep or the workouts? Or is everybody losing at this, at this point, point? At this point, it's all it's all losing. I'm just trying to only lose by like a buzzer beater, like a lose by Chris Jenkins and not like Duke UNLV 1990. So we're trying to maintain. We're trying to maintain. Yeah, maintain. Is what we're trying That's to exactly. do. Get through. Get through to April and uh, and meditating is my new thing. Do you meditate? Really? You know, I, I don't, and I want to, and I believe in it. Is it? How so? Game changer. It just it refreshes you. It keeps you on an even keel, but it actually gives you energy. I describe it as. A nap without the pressure. Hmm. So right. in, in the morning and how long? What's the process? You know, I try to get a couple of uh, hits where I'm doing maybe 20 minutes at a time. But I'll, I might go 30 or 45 if I have the time. And you think you're too busy for it. If you're too busy for it, that means you got to do it. You know, the thing is, it's it's a lot tougher than it seems. Like, for instance, you think to yourself, how hard can it be to meditate? It's hard to think about nothing. And it's hard to think about nothing for a period of time. It is not easy to do. You let your thoughts go. That's mm. the whole point. You have the exact opposite. Roll with me. I'll get. I'll get All you, right, into you got that, it. Into that you got it. Mindset. All right. Let me ask you this: The conference tournaments get uh, continue this week. Who are the teams that you're paying the most attention to in terms of what they need to get done to get into the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, you have those bubble teams in the ACC. You've got two of them: Louisville and Syracuse. And then Notre Dame is a fascinating case because they lost their best player, really a first-team All-America caliber player, in Bonzi Colson. Uh, he was gone for most of the season. He's just come back. They struggled a little bit with Pitt, which is like the worst team in the country. So um, they need to, at the very least, make the committee think about them and say, well, they lost a lot of games during the season, but they didn't have Bonzi. Now they have Bonzi. He's playing well. 
Um, but they have to they have to win some games um, to be able to do that. And then over in the Big 12, you have a team like Texas, uh, which is I think they're in, but they could use another win. Uh, and then the Pac-12 is a is a mess outside of Arizona. There's really nobody locked into the tournament. So USC, UCLA, maybe Washington, maybe Utah. It's going to be a thin list in the in the Pac-12. Clones, let me get at you for a moment about my Casper mattress. So what more can I tell you about Casper that I have not already told you? Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. The experts at Casper work tirelessly to make a quality sleep surface that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. I own a Casper mattress, and I always will. I will never forget the first night that I slept on my Casper. And I have had an amazing night of sleep every single night since then. And right now, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Try it out for 100 nights, and if you don't love Casper as much as I love mine, they will come and pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash jungle and using the promo code jungle at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, 50 bucks off select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash jungle and using the promo code jungle when you check out. Trust me, you cannot go wrong with a Casper. Believe that. Now it's back to our Daily Jungle. Seth Davis joining us here in studio. All right, what about the mid-majors? What's a mid-major team that would scare you the most if you saw them in your part of the bracket? Nevada is the first one that comes to mind. They've My many must. Yeah, yeah, they've been a top 25 uh, caliber team. And Musselman, with his NBA background, has been very smart about this because it's very hard for guys at that level to recruit big men. Because if you're in a Power 5 conference, you might not take a chance on a guy who's 6'3 or 6'2 doesn't impress you. But if he's 6'11, 7 foot, you're going to try to develop him. So it's hard for a mid-major like Nevada to get true big men. So what he did was look for guys who are all in that 6'4", 6'6", range who are interchangeable defensively and offensively. And so he's got a very smart system. Dan Hurley's done the same thing at Rhode Island. Uh, He's got a couple of uh, NBA caliber guards in uh, Jared Terrell and E.C. Matthews. Uh, And then this Loyola Ramblers team now, they won the MVC Missouri Valley by four games They do not have a single player ranked in the top 10 in scoring. So they're balanced offensively, defensively. They're old. They're experienced. Like a lot of these mid-major teams, they really know how to win. I love teams where winning is a habit. So those are the teams I think you want to avoid. Seth Davis joining us right now. When you talk about teams, winning is a habit. It starts with a coach. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. You've got a really interesting new book out. If you had to pick right now, if you had to pick right now, who is the team most likely to win it all? I'm saying Villanova. I think okay. Villanova has been the best team this season. Now, Virginia's had the best season. Villanova, they had a couple injury issues, and I think they got lost their focus a little bit uh, down the stretch, which happens from time to time. They get a little bit too three happy. They don't guard as well as I would like. But every team at the top has flaws. Virginia, one of the best defensive teams we've seen in years in For college sure. basketball. You wonder, can they score the ball? Can they beat you 85-80? to Because at a certain point that second weekend, you've got to score points. I think they're actually very good. Um, Michigan is a team that's played well down the stretch. I've been on them since December. Um, that intricate John Beeline offense is very difficult when you get out of conference. Duke, obviously, is probably the most talented team. How about Coach K going to the zone exclusively? Right. So their defense is a lot better. But Grayson Allen's the only guy of that team who's played meaningful minutes in an NCAA tournament before. So I, I generally don't like youth because I think those guys pucker up once they get to the postseason. <laughs> and it's the first time they've experienced Uh, a situation where if you lose, your season is over. So everybody at the top's got flaws. Villanova, to me, with the way they they score the ball and and their guard-oriented offense, the way they're coached, uh, Lottery Pick and Mikhail Bridges, right now they'd be my pick. Seth Davis joining us in studio. All right, so in terms of your book, now you've been around the game a long, long time, college sports in particular. The players come and go, they go, but the successful coaches, they stay in the same place for a long time. When did you first start thinking about this book, and then how did you choose the coaches who are a part of this book? Well, I've been thinking for a while, Jim, because really as a long-form sports writer and uh storyteller coaches make the best characters Mm -hmm. they're brilliant they're driven they're unbelievably tortured Uh, they're multifaceted and multidimensional a lot of them are might be real successful but not particularly likable and so as a writer it's it's interesting to deconstruct that but in order to do it properly you really need access and you really need the chance to talk to them and not only talk to these guys and all nine guys in my book uh, i talked to at length 
I've got nine chapters. They're all 10,000 words and, and, and plus of that. So they're really deep dives, but also their wives, their families, their parents, their players, uh, the, the wives, the nine wives that I interviewed in the book were the best interviews in the book, mm. right? Because women are smarter than men. They're tougher than men. They know their men and they're more a lot easier, interesting, more, far more interesting. And they're not as filtered and they're a lot easier to get on the phone, right? Sure. It's easier for me to get Shelly Meyer than Urban Meyer. Um, but I did get Urban Meyer and I got all these guys. So it's six basketball, three football, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, Tom Izzo, Gino Ariema. Doc Rivers and Brad Stevens, and then my three football guys were Jim Harbaugh, uh, Dabo Sweeney, and Urban Meyer. So extensive time with those guys. A lot of them would say to me, gosh, I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> and they were. It's cathartic. I, well, it is cathartic for them, and it's also, it really, it begins with their dads, like about their relationships with their dads, or how that frames your worldview. Some of it, your dad wasn't around. Uh, some of it, your dad was around and emotionally disconnected. Some of it, you're really close with your dad and you want to please him. At some point, that becomes your initial formative experience for how you view manhood, how you view competition, how you view success, and then transferring that to your players where you can create a team and get to us as a unit with different personalities, different background, a group of people in a locker room all playing for the same goal. Well, as an example, Dabo Sweeney, of course, did not have an easy childhood. For those who don't know that story, what was it like for him growing up and how has that impacted him as a coach and his approach? Well, it's, it's, it was everything for him. Uh, he was very close with his family, but when he got into high school, his father became a raging alcoholic. And when, when his dad drank, he got very angry and very violent, was abusive to Dabo's mom, throw a Christmas tree across the living room, police showing up at their house. His brothers were off at college, so a lot of it fell on him. And really, as a, as a senior in high school, they were essentially homeless. So he was living in friends' houses, or they'd sleep in cars. And then when he got to Alabama, um, they didn't have, she didn't have a place to live. So she lived with him in his dorm room for two years, slept in the same bed for two years. Sure. Um, but through all that, and he's a man of deep faith, you know, he always talks about you have a choice. You can go, you can feel sorry for yourself or you can have a positive attitude and believe that things are going to work out. And a lot of my book is about going through really intense, painful adversity and how that forms your view of how to handle that adversity and how to push through it. Because at some point during the course of a season or even a career, every you have players who want to quit, they don't think they're good enough and you have losses and you have pressure. We look at these guys, we think they're millionaires, they're celebrities, they're successful coaches, they've got it made. They got a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. In the cases of like Urban Meyer and Mike Krzyzewski, it gets to them and almost, you know, really uh, jeopardizes their, their physical health. So in Dabo's case, he, he comes at it like a preacher uh, and he preaches the gospel of football. That's, you know, it's, I, the, my, my chapter of him starts off by saying, no one ever accused Dabo Sweeney of being a man of few words. Right, um, for sure. It's, it's the consistency of his attitude and his application of his attitude in small ways over long periods of time, that's how you get to us. The process. Seth Davis joining us. He's got a brand new book out, Getting to Us, How Great Coaches Make Great Teams. You know, there's no way for me to cover all nine coaches, but let me hit on a couple of these guys. You mentioned Coach K. You talked about the stress. I mean, when you look at it, he had Duke rolling back in the day, back-to-back -back national titles, another Final Four trip a couple of years later, and then during the 94-95 season, that comes around. For those who do not remember, what happened to him during that season, and then what kind of an impact did that have on him going forward? Well, first of all, for some context, both of us are old enough to remember when Mike Krzyzewski sure. was the lovable loser, right? <laughs> right? They kept going to the Final Four and not yes. making it, and his, his kids were such nice boys and good students and gosh isn't it we want to root for this guy then they went to with the greatest villain of all time in christian leitner now he's got a lot coming at him and you know people worry about being uh, you know fear of failure it's the success that gets you and so now you have this beast that you need to feed and now you feel like it's all on you and you're doing all these things outside of basketball so um he was having bad back pain heading into the 94 95 season and he was even refusing to go to the doctor uh, and he would go to the doctor and, uh, and say, you know, well, my back kind of feels tight. And his wife, Mickey is there saying, tell him the truth. This is your doctor. Like you don't have tightness in your back. You have a real, so they take the MRI. He's got a herniated disc. He has the surgery. Hey, you got to be out four to six weeks, get yourself well. Well, he's worried it's all going to fall apart. So he's back at work the next week. And he's thinking in his mind, I'll just push through, push through. Uh, and it got to a point where he was so in so much physical pain that he couldn't sleep. And he became exhausted and really afraid. His wife, again, forces him to go to the doctor, and they have to shut him down. And I never really knew this. And, of course, I've known him a long time. I went to Duke, and I finally got him on the phone talking about this. He went into a very deep depression, and he went to a very dark place where he thought he really wasn't going to get out of it. The former president of Duke University, Keith Brody, was a psychology professor. 
and he came over to the house to give him daily therapy. Now, another thing people don't know about Mike Krzyzewski, he's not a big reader, thinks he has probably some form of attention deficit, as many of my coaches have, by the mm. way, uh, many of the coaches in this book. So uh, Dr. Brody would show Coach K movies to try to explain to him how he can get out of his depression. And then he would show him video of Coach K showing, coaching with such passion, which would only depress him more because Krzyzewski felt like he would never get that back. So again, we think of Mike Krzyzewski as a guy who's got it made, got it all figured out. It was a very, very dark place, and a lot of people who go to that place would not have come out of it. And But for the grace of God, he was able to come out of it and I think be a better coach and a better man, a better husband, better father. Seth Davis joins me in studio. All right, so what about Brad Stevens? I mean, when you're running down that list of coaches, you've got Jim Beheim, you've got Izzo, Ari Emma, Doc Rivers, list goes on. Brad Stevens, though, he's really, really different. I love that he's the subject. When you first met him, what did you think of him? Well, of course, I knew him um, having coached at, at Butler. And the, the phrase that always comes back to mind um, with Brad as I got to know him at Butler was, don't let the smooth taste fool you. Uh, <laughs> right. He's a nice guy, and he looks like he just got bar mitzvahed, right? He's so young looking. Um, and, you know, people call him a genius, which I think actually sells him short. And this is why. To call someone a genius means you're almost inferring that it's easy for them. Brad Stevens isn't a great coach because he's a genius. He's a great coach because he has incredible focus and discipline in developing his craft and acquiring the knowledge and disseminating the information that he needs to pass along to his players. And again, it's the application of that week by week, hour by hour, day by day, month by month, year by year. There's no secret to being a great coach. And that, to me, that's why this book was such a fun project. Like you look at Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. He's a raving maniac. You look at Brad Stevens on the sidelines. He barely has a pulse. Yet both of their teams win. And so Brad, his studious nature, his character, his integrity, his humility, those are his great assets. And he really took me inside his process. I mean, I break down minute by minute his game day process, which includes, as I start the chapter, a 20 minutes of playing Miss Pac-Man, which is kind of his, <laughs> his, his, his mind. What is that? You know, it's just a kind of mind. I've talked to him about meditation as well. Um, to, you know, yeah, that's what meditation is. Count me in. Well, if yeah, I play Miss Pac-Man every single day, this is my 20 minutes. I'm in. Mindfulness. Yeah. Um, it's just, it just works for him. It's just 20 minutes to say, okay, I'm not going to think about basketball. I'm just going to, and it makes him good at Miss Pac-Man. So when people come over to his house, he can beat them, which is what he really yeah, wants you know, to it's do. amazing. I mean, the rap's always been both in the NBA and the NFL is these guys just can't make the jump because they can't relate to the game is different. The players are different. We've heard all these raps. This guy's done it and he's killing it. Is it just because of that discipline and that focus, that application? I mean, where is this guy? What makes him different? Why has he succeeded where somebody else failed trying to make that jump? I think the main thing is he made the smart jump to go to the Boston Celtics. That too. And he's had other opportunities to go to the NBA. He had other opportunities to take big college jobs. I mean, uh, when UCLA came open, they wanted him bad. Um, he could have had any college job he wanted for a time, and he was happy at Butler because that's the authentic authenticity piece. So for Brad, the appeal of the NBA, not only going to Boston, but um, the intellectual challenge of NBA basketball where you have 48 minutes instead of 40 and a 24-second shot clock. So you have that many more possessions, that many more decisions. And he was very intrigued. He was, you know, he was a, a big math guy. A lot of the basketball coaches were good at math because uh, uh, basketball is mathematics. And then this knowledge piece, you know, I write about what I call the peak profile, P-E-A-K, persistence, empathy, authenticity, knowledge. These are the four character traits that I isolated. And in Brad's case, the knowledge piece is very important. So if a player, his players know he's a great guy, but a player can think his coach is a total jerk. But if he thinks that guy has knowledge that he can pass along to that player that will help that player reach his individual goals, he'll play hard for him. So you know, in Brad's case, the knowledge piece has become really, really important. When he says something to his players, they know that he's spent hours, weeks, months, years studying this to come up with the two things that he wants to tell them in that situation that they're supposed to do so they can go through and execute that with total belief. In the meantime, another day, another athlete hooked on social media. Today's sucker, Des Bryant. Look, there's been a ton of speculation about his future in Dallas. We know this. You know, speculation like, is he the player he once was? Are they going to bring him back? Are they going to bring him back and make him take a pay cut? Could they cut him outright? Is Stephen Jones cracking him? Is that Stephen's old man hyping him? What's going to happen to Dez? Nobody really knows. And everybody is looking for a sign. And it appeared that Dez may have given that to them when he grabbed a photo of himself in a Cowboys gamer with a caption that simply read X. Just X. 
So, where was Dez going with that? Was he looking to send some cryptic, subliminal message with the X? Exactly what did Dez mean by that? I don't know. But what it means and what it turned out to be are two totally different things. Because what it turned out to be was a bullseye for every troll on the internet to take aim. And that's exactly what they did. And the next thing Dez knows, his notifications are stacked with hate and people coming for him for wanting out of Dallas. Not ideal, right? Especially if that's not what he was trying to say. Not ideal, but knowing Dez, the way we know Dez, he handled this the right way. By setting the phone down and ignoring the whole thing. Sure he didn't. No, instead, my man actually flipped to Twitter to vent the hell out. He tweeted, and I quote, WTF are wrong with you people. I posted a bleeping picture. Bleep starting to piss me off now. It's me in a Dallas Cowboys uniform where I belong. Get a life, please. LOL. Hooked. Again, he has since deleted the tweet, but Dez, as you should know by now, and so should everybody else, the internet is in ink. You cannot erase it. You could delete your Twitter account altogether, but not the tweets that you thumbed out before you nuked it. How this guy doesn't know this at this point is a miracle to me. How anybody with a verified blue check next to their name does not know this by now is a miracle to me. As if Dallas didn't already have enough problems and distractions. Distractions with Jera beefing with Raja. Zeke Elliott getting suspended. The team watching the playoffs from the couch yet again. So really the last thing they need is for their star wideout or their once star wideout to get hooked by IG trolls. Yet again. Des, you're not a rookie anymore. You've been around long enough. You've played with that star on the side of your helmet long enough. You understand how this goes, or at least you should. At this point in your career, we should not have to spell this out for you. However, and if you're not going to listen to me, however, luckily some dude named at Rob N. Yeezy on Twitter did spell it out for you. Rob Yeezy tweeted, stop reading comments. Not hard, bruh. There it is. There he is. I found the smartest guy on the internet. Rob N. Yeezy. Stop reading comments. Not hard, bruh. I mean, that tweet should be plastered onto a sign that the players have to slap every single time they leave the locker room. You know, like, instead of play like a champion today, it should read, stop reading comments. Not hard, bruh. Des actually retweeted that tweet and said, quote, I'm getting texted messages. I don't give a damn for the most part, end quote. Hold up now. You don't give a damn for the most part. You literally said bleep starting to piss me off now in your deleted tweet. I mean, wow. The hell would happen if you did give a damn. Let this be a message then, Des, to you and every athlete everywhere. If you're not going to listen to me, listen to Rob Yeezy, whoever that is, because that guy's the smartest guy on the internet. Stop reading comments. Not hard, brah. That's it. Pretty basic, pretty simple. 1-800-636-8686. It's almost like they've got to be in the news. It's their oxygen. We have to be looking at them. We have to be looking at the Cowboys. We have to be talking about the Cowboys. It doesn't even matter if they win four games or five games or they're below 500 or they miss the postseason again or somebody gets suspended or the owner's beefing with the commish. As long as we're looking at them and talking about them. And we are. Thanks to Dez. Except one thing. Stop reading comments, bro. Check that. Stop reading comments. Not hard, brah. 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 Bruh. Stop reading comments, brah. Bruh. Not hard. Brah. Hey, I'm going to try this. Stop reading comments. Not hard. Bruh. There it is. 
Oh, one more thing before I forget. Stop reading comments. Not hard. Bruh. Ryan Reeves is my guest. Ryan, so good to have you on. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good, good, Ryan. Ryan, the Golden Knights are really something. I mean, you've been with them for a little more than two weeks. If you go back to before the trade, you had said that their arena was rocking when you went to play against them. So now that you're a member of the Golden Knights, what's your impression of the team and the culture around that organization so far? It, it's a lot of fun, you know. You, you have a you have a bunch of guys that were kind of left left out of their team plan. Uh, um, so there's just a lot of guys that are hungry and have a lot to prove. And um, you can tell this team has a lot of fun around the rink, um, and the city's bumping. You know, it's crazy at the rink. It's uh, you know, it's a big party every game. The fans are into it. They love the team there. Um, it's definitely not what I would have expected from the first year in Vegas, but. Uh, it's been so much fun so far. Yeah, Ryan, not only is it a party around the team during the games, but it's a party around that team during the practices. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. Some of your teammates have come on the show this year, and they've talked about how the fans show up at practice. What's it like having standing room only crowds for practice? Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, uh, you wouldn't expect that kind of support out of you know a first year team in in the middle of the desert playing hockey, but. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been fun. It's good to see that they're supporting the team and then they're coming out even for practice. It's been, it's been nice to see. Ryan Reeves joining us. You know, one of the thoughts has been that the Western Conference teams are built and they play a little bit differently from Eastern Conference teams. You played in St. Louis before you went to Pittsburgh last summer. So in your opinion, how accurate is that belief and what are the differences between the two conferences? Yeah, you know, I... I never would have thought that when I played in St. Louis. I always kind of thought that was just a myth that maybe you know, maybe some teams are built like that. But um, you know, going to Pittsburgh, seeing so, you know, how that team was built uh, and, and the way that division is, uh, I kind of think that the West is a little heavier. Um, I feel a little more home at the, in the West. That's for sure. I think the games uh, tend to go a little more physical, a little more amped up. But uh, I think the East has definitely built a little more speed uh, over the last couple of years. You know, when you talk about the physical play and the fact that the conference is a little bit heavier, that kind of brings me to the next thing. Your general manager in Vegas, George McPhee, said one of the motivating factors before making or behind making a deal for you was, quote, tough guys in this league. Many of them are obsolete because they can't play. This guy can play, and he will be able to help us out, end quote. So what's your reaction when you hear that? And then how much pride is there in the fact that you're regarded as one of the few tough guys in that league that has that kind of skill? I mean, well... Skill is used very loosely here, but um, you know it's it's a big honor for me. You know, uh, going to going to Pittsburgh, they you know they traded for me, and I was honored to get onto that team, and um, you know, and then getting traded to the first place team in the league at, at the time um, in Vegas. Uh, obviously, a big honor. You know, it's, the league's definitely changing. I think everybody knows that everybody sees it, but. Um, you know, I've been able to adapt and, and hang on for the last couple of years, and uh, you know, I, hopefully, I got five, six more years in me. Hey, Ryan, those four goals did not score themselves. All right, hey, let me ask you this: do you, do you feel like I'll ask you a different way? Do you feel like you're a tough guy who can play, or are you a guy who can play who's tough? Uh, well, let's go with the second one. That one sounds better. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I think I can play. I think you know. Um, you know, I'm not going to put up 20, 30 points every year or any year probably, but, um, you know, the thing I do on the ice is I, I like to make room for my other teammates uh, playing physical, you know, making those D-men look over their shoulders and, and hoping I'm not coming down the ice. So, you know, I, I try and help out other ways. And, um, you know, because the league's built so much around speed, you got to be able to keep up and be able to turn with these guys that are turning on a dime. So, uh, you know, those are the things i got to work on in the summer every year now. And if you can create some space for the guys around you, that's a great thing, too. Ryan Reeves joining us. Now, you were beloved in St. Louis before you went to Pittsburgh. Fans loving you, though, is nothing new. In fact, is it true that there was a fan in Peoria who got a tattoo of you? And if that is true, what did that tattoo look like? Uh, oh, man. I mean, it looked like a, a slaughter on her arm. It was, it was, it was really... Uh, really scabby when I saw it. And I saw her in practice who's standing uh, behind the, the bench. And I was like, is that, is that my jersey on her arm? And I couldn't see it for a bit. And then she rolled up her sleeve. And yeah, sure enough, it was uh, a Reeves 38 jersey. And the top thing was, is right after she got it, I think I got called up for the rest of the year. And 
never played in Peoria again, never wore that number again. So uh, it's, it's honor for life, though. It, hopefully it's not still scabbed over. And you said it looked like I mean, she did it, it. I hope it healed up a little bit. Yeah, right. Hopefully it healed up. I mean, it takes ink a little time to heal. You said, though, it looked like she did it with a knife or got it with a knife. Was it that bad? It, it was, yeah. I mean, it it looked pretty – maybe she wasn't taking care of it properly or I don't know, maybe she got a, a bad tattoo artist, but it was it was pretty scabbed up. Ryan Reeves joins me for a few more moments. You know, everywhere you've been, your teammates love you, and part of that is due to things like doing an entire interview wearing a Steelers football helmet complete with visor. <laughs> Let me ask you this. When you go to a new team, how do you go about joining, kind of connecting with the culture of the room? Do you immediately jump in with both feet, or do you kind of feel the whole process out? Oh, I, I jump in with both feet. I mean, I, my, my personality, I, you know, I'm a loud guy. I like to joke around. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes that draws people to me, and that's what makes me able to kind of fit in with, with any crowd and new teams. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely not a shy guy. So when I, when I get to a new team, I, I think I try and start by chirping everybody once or twice, and that kind of gets me in with the boys. Well, not only that, but you've got a reputation for having some of the best pranks ever. Have you broken anything out yet, or are you looking to pick your spots and unleash the arsenal a little bit later on? Yeah, you know, we uh, right when I got there, we had to go on the road, and we played a couple home games. I was still kind of feeling out the, feeling out the city, and now we're on the road for a little bit. Um, I actually left my mask back home in Pittsburgh, so i got to find a new one, and uh, i got a couple targets that are, that are coming up soon. Don't you worry. Good. Ryan Reeves, my guest. Before you go, there's this legend, and i got to see if we can confirm this. Hopefully you can play some ball with me, that you have one of the greatest goal horn impressions in the league. Is it true, and is there any way you can break that out right now? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. It's definitely true. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if it'll sound very good on the phone, though. Yeah, I know man, I'm putting you on the spot. This, Get, I might wake up this whole hotel. My man, give it a shot. Give it a shot, Ryan. You can do it. Uh, you ready for it? Hit me. Dude, that is absolutely incredible. You you did not just do that yourself. Oh, yeah. Or you think I carry a goal on around with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. As good as that sounded, that's exactly what I think. Is there any way, Ryan, you can run that back one more time? One more time, all right. That is incredible. I think the fire department just showed up at the hotel. I'm not going to lie. That, that's a, that's a three-bell alarm right there. That is absolutely amazing. I mean, that's not even human. Appreciate you for doing that. That is awesome. We now have a drop. Listen, before you go, one last thought, and thank you again for that. Is it true that you were a big Patrick Waugh fan growing up? What was it about him and his game that you liked? Uh, you know what? I was, yeah, I was. That was my favorite player. I always wanted to be a goalie when I was younger. Um, just didn't have it in me. I was a really good street hockey goalie. Um, and then when he, when he did that walk, uh, when, he, when he told I don't know, was it the GM or the owner that he wanted to get traded, when he was just pacing up and down, I thought he was just the biggest beauty i ever seen. So uh, I followed his career to Colorado. That was my favorite team until uh, I got drafted. Ryan, I'm kind of an old dude, but I can remember back here in Los Angeles when 99 got here and nobody ever thought of this team. Kind of like Vegas right now being in the desert. Nobody thought this town was a good hockey town. And I remember when they got up on Montreal, two games to one in the Stanley Cup Finals, and it looked like the Kings were going to get over, and he stopped Thomas Sandstrom like point blank right in the crease and winked at him. I'm like, man, this dude is a beauty. He's different. He just winked at that guy after he stoned him. Yeah, yeah like for a goal, he's got, he had a lot of swagger to him, and I, I think that's that's all part of the reason I like him. Kirk Cousins and that sweepstakes is now officially underway. He kicked it off with a throwback Tuesday pick of himself as a high schooler and a caption which read, next week is now officially the first time since 2007 that I'll be choosing where to play football. I'm open to suggestions. Hashtag free agency. All right, so where's the guy going to land? Minnesota, the Jets, how about Denver? Emmanuel Sanders is jumping in from Denver. He says, quote, the Kirk Cousins to Demarius and myself combination would be dangerous. What y'all think? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Yeah, I'd say that would be dangerous. And Cousins in Denver would end that 
bizarre merry-go-round of Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, and the Brock Lobster under center. However, one of Kirk's teammates in Washington is not exactly hyping him. D'Angelo Hall told ESPN, quote, we kind of felt like the commitment wasn't there from Kirk, end quote. Listen, on the surface, that is red-hot lava. Questioning a guy's commitment, especially that guy's commitment, that's molten. I mean, that's the kind of thing that will swallow your hand up if you even touch it. Except D'Angelo was only getting started. He said, quote, we obviously wanted Kirk. We franchised him because we wanted him there. It was up to ownership and the front office to kind of work those numbers out. They couldn't get the numbers worked out, so he signed franchise tags those two football seasons. Everybody in that locker room was behind Kirk. We wanted him there, but we wanted to feel like he wanted to be there as well. Having played 14 years, I understand. Let's go get the money. But at some point, it has to be mutual interest from both parties to want to get better collectively as a team. Paying Kirk probably the $30 million he's going to get, we couldn't do that and get better as a football team. All right, so where does this leave us? First off, this is a big Kirk Cousins house. This is also a big D'Angelo Hall house. And part of the reason why this is a big D'Angelo Hall house is because he says things like, we obviously wanted Kirk. We franchised Kirk. You know, like D'Angelo was involved in the tagging himself. Hey, listen, maybe there is something to his point that if the team was going to pay Cousins what he can command on the open market, they were not going to be a better team. That's fair. I get that. What I don't get, though, is D'Angelo seriously suggesting that Kirk take a discount to stay as a demonstration of his commitment. I mean, come on. He shouldn't. D'Angelo himself wouldn't. Fact is, it was the team that would not commit to Cousins and didn't see him as a franchise quarterback, didn't see him as a guy who can win the Super Bowl, or they would have committed to him. This is not a matter of Cousins not being committed to the Redskins, because he was. It's a matter of the team not being committed to him as a franchise quarterback and being unwilling to pay him what he could get on the open market. D'Angelo had another take. Quote, I think Kirk Cousins realized he was better than RG3 before the organization did. I think we took a little too much time in realizing how good he was. Then when it was time to really pay him, we kind of said, hey, we want to see a little bit more. And we did that, and then his numbers kind of went up. Then we said, well, we still want to keep our offer in this ballpark. And he wanted a little more, so we said, all right, we'll franchise you again. Finally, we just started to get a feeling as though, oh, maybe he really doesn't want to be here. He wanted to kind of pick his own destination, I felt like, end quote. <laughs> There's a lot of wheeze in there from my man. There is something there, but then it kind of veers away at the end. He's right that we, as he says, took a little too much time in realizing how good he was. He's also right when he says we might have been a little behind in realizing this guy was better than RG3 when he knew it all along. And he's right when he says they want to keep that price tag down. The problem is it soured the long-term relationship. But I would be stunned if that had anything to do with how Kirk played in games and prepared for games, which goes back to D'Angelo's original point. I'm just not sure he was committed to us. I mean, that's what it means when you question somebody's commitment. Again, you're not going to find a quarterback who's more committed than Kirk Cousins. I think you're confusing commitment with negotiation. It's not that he wasn't committed. It's that he didn't want to leave any money on the table. If you're questioning his commitment, you're questioning his will to prepare, his willingness to do whatever he can to be the best that he can, his willingness to go the extra mile, his willingness to do whatever he can to move the chains on Sunday. This guy's got all those things. You'll find better quarterbacks than Kirk Cousins, but you're not going to find anybody who is doing more to get what they can out of what they have than Cousins. You want to question somebody's commitment, question the teams. As an example, let's not forget the team president who repeatedly called him Kurt K 
Cousins time and time and time again. After discussions with Kurt this weekend face-to-face, Kurt is obviously an important part of our organization and is important to our team and fans to know where we stand. Our goal was to sign Kurt to a long-term contract. We made Kurt an offer, the highest fully guaranteed amount upon signing for a quarterback in NFL history. But despite our repeated attempts, we have not received any offer from Kurt's agent this year. Kurt has made it clear that he prefers to play on a year-to-year basis. We respect and accept Kurt's decision. You know why they didn't respond? They didn't know you were talking to him because you curted him like 10 times. So you're going to talk about who's committed or who's not committed? Is he committed to the team? The team's own GM curted him like 10 times in a press conference. So let's not talk about commitment. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what message Bruce Allen was looking to send when he said that. But if the team president kept calling D'Angelo... DeAndre or DeAnthony or Dennis, I'm pretty sure D'Angelo would not be feeling the love. I'm pretty sure D'Angelo would not be looking to stay. If I felt like I had been shortchanged in negotiations and undervalued, and then they started calling me by the wrong name over and over again, I think I'd also be pretty pumped to be tweeting about getting to pick where I want to play football for the first time in more than a decade. I get that. I'm not saying that Kirk is a lock to bring a Super Bowl wherever he goes. But you're not going to need to question this guy's commitment. Trust me, the man is committed. And he's going to end up signing with a team that is committed to him that knows his name. A team that is all in with him. The Redskins weren't. Let me be very clear about this. I don't even have an issue with the Redskins not agreeing to a long-term deal with Cousins. Just be straight as to why they didn't. They didn't sign him to that deal because they didn't think that he was committed. They didn't sign him to that deal because they didn't think that he was a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. The guy's committed. They just weren't willing to commit to him the way the Vikings or the Jets will. And that's why he's going to leave. And not because he wasn't committed to the Redskins. He would have been. He would have stayed. The guy's trying to get his. He bet on himself a couple of times, and now he's going to cash in. Mike Mayock, 2018 NFL Draft, of course, is April 26th through the 28th in Arlington, Texas. He joins us right now. Mike, it is so good to have you back on the show. How are things, Mike? Things are pretty good, Jim. How you doing, man? I'm great, Mike. I'm great. Nice to visit with you. I know you're busy. Let me just jump right into this, Mike. At this time last year, word was NFL guys were all over Sam Darnold and the possibility of drafting him in 2018. It seems to have cooled off a bit, Mike. How much of that is just normal reaction to a guy after seeing another year of film? And then how much of that might be bigger than just that? I think most of it is media hype. And and I think until the scouts, get a hold of the film and start to really dig into it and break down when they know a kid's coming out. The majority of it is hype. And I think it happens to all the quarterbacks where we kind of dig into all these guys and dig them apart. And, you know, at the end of the day, people are questioning different things about him and what's Josh Rose or what's uh, the UCLA kid, Josh Rosen really all about what's Josh Allen. Is he the best quarterback? So I kind of laugh. We're still six weeks away and, I, I don't think the NFL teams really know what their quarterback order is yet, and therefore we certainly don't. We're talking to Mike Mayock. Mike, what about Darnold's decision not to throw at the combine? It, that being said, what would you be looking to see from him at his pro day, and are there some questions that you would like to have answered? Well, I got on him a little bit for not throwing, but in the same breath I also said that the reality is whether he throws at the combine, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change or affect his grade from anybody. I just think in that venue where everybody else is throwing, if you're a true competitor, man, you got you, you want to get up there and get next to the rest of those guys and rip it yourself. That's just the way I feel. Um, as far as the big picture is concerned, I'm going to be at his pro day at USC. And I, I think what I'm – that's really not the concern with him. You know, I know he's got a good arm. 
I just want to see it come out of his hands. I want to see him rip it. He's athletic as can be. The big issue with him are the turnovers, and, and you're really not going to be able to make any kind of decisions at a pro day about his turnovers. We're talking to Mike Mayock. All right, Mike, you mentioned Josh Rosen. From a pure passing perspective, how does he compare to other quarterbacks in the class and maybe guys in the last few years? He's a beautiful thrower, natural thrower, accurate at all three levels. I would compare him to Sam Bradford, and I would do that because they're both naturally born throwers of a football, but they both have durability issues. And my concern with Josh Rosen is that he had a shoulder injury in 16, he had two concussions in 17, and he has an inability to escape pressure in the pocket. And when you tie those two issues together, I I have a major concern about whether he can survive an NFL pocket. Hmm. Mike Mayock joining us. Mike, do you have any concerns about him in terms of personality, point of view, attitude, all those other things? Well, I haven't even met him yet, and, mm-hmm. and that's something i got, I got to try to spend some time with this young man. I'll be at his pro day. Um, obviously, people are talking about those things, and we all know he's a smart kid, and, and what it really comes down to is a commitment to the game and a passion for the game, and I think we need to figure that out over the next six weeks. And it seems like he knows that, right? It seems like he knows there are those questions because he made a point <laughs> of saying, I am committed, I'm dedicated, I love this game. Mike, what about Lamar Jackson? What do you make of what you saw from him? Well... I think he made a statement when he didn't run, and that statement was, I'm a quarterback, folks. Hmm. And I believe it, and I'm, I'm on board with him. And here's what I think. I, I think it's an intriguing picture. I watched what Bill O'Brien did last year uh, with Deshaun Watson. And when they made the conversion to Watson, they became the most electrifying team in football. And trust me, they had to change their offense week five or six or whatever it was when they converted the they had to change a bunch of things to accommodate this kid, and they did. And until he got hurt, I mean, everybody wanted to tune in and watch them play offensive football. As soon as he got hurt, they were the, one of the worst offenses in the league. And I look at that, and I look at Lamar Jackson, and I believe, even though he's not as good a thrower yet, he's behind Deshaun Watson, I truly believe this kid is, has as good a pair of legs as Michael Vick ever did. His arm is just as whippy as Michael Vick. He's inaccurate, but he's got a big arm. I think somebody's going to commit to this kid, change their offense and their philosophy to accommodate this kid. And I can tell you one thing, Jim. Every defensive coordinator I talked to in Indianapolis last week said, I hope this kid doesn't end up in my division. Mm. NFL Network analyst Mike Mayock joining us. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Mayock. Mike, I'm fascinated by Baker Mayfield. I mean, obviously a really polarizing figure. He's got a ton of confidence. What is your sense as to what NFL teams make of him? And do you think that this guy could lead an NFL locker room as a rookie, or is that something he's going to have to grow into? Boy, I don't know if we have enough time to answer this question, but (laughs) in in a nutshell, um, I think some teams are energized by him. They love his confidence. They love the fact that he's almost a 70% completion guy. His accuracy is good. He's got leadership on the field. And I think there's probably an equal number of teams that just look at him and say, he's not our cup of tea. He's not uh, what the face of our franchise should look like. We have more questions than answers. It'd be one thing if we got him in the third or fourth round, but to take a kid like this in the first round, and again, I'm just paraphrasing conversations that I've had with other people around the league. Um, he's talented enough to warrant first-round conversation, but every team is different with what their opinion of him is. And, of course, all it takes is one. Mike Mayock joining yep. us. Mike, what do you make of the situation with Cleveland? Plenty of time between now and the draft, but if you're John Dorsey and you're Cleveland, how do you go about dealing with the first and the fourth picks? Well, I mean, if you look at Doris last year in Kansas City, he traded it up to get the biggest arm quarterback in the draft. Um, and you're talking about an outdoor stadium in Cleveland in November, December, January. From my perspective, the two logical quarterbacks are Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. The other logical guy at number one is Saquon Barkley. And I think Saquon Barkley and Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, are the two best position players in this draft. So it, Dorsey's in an, in an interesting spot. They've got one and four. 
They've got three second-round picks and a third-round pick, and they've got over $100 million in salary cap room so they can go get a veteran quarterback if they can get one to sign on the dotted line. And that's why this year is interesting, Jim, from a quarterback perspective, because for the first time in years, it's a little bit driven by the college draft is a little bit driven by the quarterback free agency market, which we never have. We don't have a free agency market at quarterback. So with Kirk Cousins, with McCarron, with three Minnesota quarterbacks, with the potential of a trade for Nick Foles, all of a sudden what's going to happen in the draft will be driven by which teams in the top 10 are able to sign veteran quarterbacks and commit to them. So if Cleveland was able to make a trade for Foles or to sign one of those high-level guys, I mean, how about if you got Barkley at one and Quentin Nelson at four with a veteran quarterback? And I'm telling you, I watched their tape last year. They can already compete on defense. So I, I, I think this is a critical year for Cleveland. I'm a John Dorsey guy. I, th- I believe in his ability to evaluate, and I think they have so many options open to them. They're going to be fascinating come draft day. Mike Mayock joining us. It's such a great point, Mike. And what about even if you're not Cleveland, what if you're a top three or four team in the draft? How do you approach Barkley? I mean, a few years back, the thinking was it's not worth taking a running back that early, but has that thinking changed, and is Barkley the kind of player that you would take up there? I think recent history tells you if you take a running back in the top 10 and you commit to his style of play, you're going to be a better football team. And I don't care if it's Zeke Elliott, uh, Fournette, Gurley, all three of those teams are similar. Excuse me, all three of those players are similar to Saquon Barkley. And I would make the argument that I've got a higher grade on Saquon Barkley than I do any of those kids. He's clean off the field. And if you commit to him and who he is, He's going to make you better. And by the way, you can still pick up. So I guess what I'm saying is if it's a top 10 pick and you believe that and you commit to him, you're going to be a better football team. But there are still a lot of really good running backs available in the second, third, and fourth rounds last year and this year. Mike, last stop before you go. Somebody else you mentioned. You know, there's this other adage that it's not a good idea to use a top pick on a guard, but you mentioned Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame, who I have to imagine you've got ranked very highly because you described him, quote, as a son of a bitch who is going to knock people down in the run game. When you look at what this guy does to defensive linemen, does he maybe change the calculus on that as well? Yeah, I think he does. And, you know, I know there's some people around the league that say, listen, the last two times we took top 10 picks as guards, they both flamed out. It was the same year, actually, with Jonathan Cooper and I think Chance Warmack. Uh, so it didn't work out back then. But, but I know Quentin Nelson personally. I believe in the kid, the work ethic, the passion for the game, and I really believe in the talent. So from my perspective, it's two things, Jim. It's you're going to punch holes in the defense in the run game. And number two, you're going to allow your quarterback to step up into a pocket. And he's a quick set guy, meaning that you can tackles can push their defensive ends up the field and by and allow the quarterback to step up in the pocket, which every quarterback in the league tells me is a critical component of their offense. Right, so you're less than two months away from the draft itself, Mike. What are the next few weeks like between now and the draft? Are you breaking down a ton of tape? Are you hitting up pro days? How do you spend your time in the coming weeks? Yeah, I'm basically going through all the data of 335 guys that we just saw in Indy. And then I hit the road next week, and I basically don't come off the road till about uh, the week of uh, the first week in April because LSU and Memphis have pro days that week. They're the last big pro day. So basically, I'm on the road starting next week all the way through the end of April, and I'll see about 10 to 12 or 13 pro days and all the top quarterbacks, and, and I love going to these pro days. It's awesome. Let's go to Colorado. Winona. Hi, Winona. How are you? I, I see on, on um, TV that Colorado plays at um, CSU plays at 3.30 ET. What does that mean? Oh, ET. ET is Eastern time. Okay, so I'm in Colorado, so... So you're in Colorado, so 3.30 Eastern Time would be 1.30 Mountain Time. MT is Mountain Time, you are in Mountain Time, so you want to watch your team at 1.30. Uh, on what station? That's a great question, Winona. Fabian, good morning, what's up, man? 
Either that or call me IA, my man. You dig? I dig. What's up? <laughs> How you doing, Rome? Good, dude. How about hey, you? Pretty much. Uh, hey, I'll be honest with you, bro. Um, I, I, I was I was telling uh, Adam, you know, Hawk, you know, you know, the purpose is just to make my presence felt. Not like so, you know, the haters. I just, you know, you cannot give me the jungle karma, none of that. But just that I am here, that's that it, it rubs on you. So from here, here I go. I could go and take it to the, you know, you remember, Rome, when I stopped smoking weed for like a long time, kind of, you know, you know, so I'm about to buzz one of those missions, you know, maybe like, you know, a couple of years, I'll call you. Hey, dude, remember that call when I called you for karma, blah, blah, blah. And that is that. Anyways, dude, I know you got a little bit of time. I want to throw in a little bit of Lakers, dog. We're looking good, you know, I mean, damn, I, Randall's a, a beast, bro. He's, he, I want him here. Wow. Huh? You know, we got so many things based, my homie, you know, and right, like you all said, right. so man. Let, let, me, let me react to this, Fabian. Thank you very much. Pick him up, Adam. I got one thing to say to that, Fabian. You know, you know, you know, you know. There it is. Podcast Wednesday, Ep 27. Should be waiting for you just to hit play, and then I will be right back here tomorrow. Check you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.